Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The NCAA women's basketball had an incredibly successful season. And now your favorite players from the 2023 to 2024 NCAA season will be in the WNBA. To all our veteran fans, welcome back. And to all the new fans joining, welcome to the W. This season, watch as proven legends Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Sabrina Ionescu continue their dominance, while rookies Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, and Angel Reese prove themselves on a WNBA court. The WNBA is redefining basketball on their own terms this season, keeping the game and players front and center, while celebrating the intersection of identities and perspectives that align with fans. Welcome to the W. You're in for some world-class basketball. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S., and each week we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. All right, welcome back. I am Phil Briggs, a Navy veteran with ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. And on this episode, we'll discover a new online magazine that's dedicated to helping veterans find not just a job, but a career. When men and women come back and separate, there is a lack of information about what opportunities they have and how we translate their skills in a way to get them into really good careers, instead of, as we call them, lifeboat jobs, where you're just, you know, just making it by. And then, before Army veteran and entrepreneur Jerry Flanagan had over 200 franchises, it was just him, a Jeep, and a trailer. And I went out and started hauling junk in my local neighborhood. We'll talk with him about how he founded one of the most successful veteran-owned franchises in the country and hear stories from the world of J-Dog junk removal. I'd say one of the most incredible things I ever picked up was the first 20 editions of Sports Illustrated with all the business cards in them. Um, I thought that was pretty cool (laughs) because that was the original Sports Illustrated from 1954. I also picked up an 800-pound anchor that was over 100 years old that was embedded in someone's backyard. Yeah, this, the, the stories go on, and we could do a, a whole mini series of, uh, you know, of the, of the junk stories that you encounter when you're cleaning out these homes. That's all coming at you next. This hour, I want to talk about jobs. Because let's face it, everyone needs one, and they're in short supply. And you need to know about this valuable resource that I found. It's called WorkingNation.com, and it covers the world of jobs. They got trends and information about what jobs are available, where you can find the jobs of the future. And in the November edition of their online magazine, Inquire Within, they examine some of the issues and some of the opportunities for veterans looking for a better career. And I'm happy to talk with Working Nations, Joan Lynch, who's the Chief of Content and Programming Officer, a TV executive. She got veterans in her family and an interesting former life as an executive producer at ESPN. Joan, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Man, I was interested by this website. I'd never seen the world of jobs looked at this way. I'd never known that there was a website that just talked about where jobs are. And I can tell some of your production chops and some of the background there at a network television thing because of the way these stories are packaged. So uh, first and foremost, tell me a little bit about the veteran connection in your family. Yeah, sure. So uh, my father was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. He flew Hueys. I uh, was from 68 to 71. Um, my grandfather was a Marine uh, and had a lot of cousins that were in the military. So, so the military, America, and all of that was very, very important in our family. Uh, and my father, turns out, my entire life had been talking to me about the skills that the veterans have when they come back from, from service or when they separate. And no doubt you had heard that growing up, and then you make the leap yourself from the television industry, where I know your work, and we all have seen your work, with 30 for 30 on ESPN, but um, you make the leap to this workingnation.com. Tell me kind of the 30,000-foot view of what Working Nation is and does for everybody. Sure. Working Nation is a not-for-profit media company, um, and we tell stories about, about work and employment. We talk about solutions and where the jobs of the future will be. And it was, uh, it was started six years ago when a venture capitalist, Bill, Art Bilger, approached me and said that he wanted to tell some stories about employment. Um, and it became very clear very quickly to me as a former journalist at ABC News and as a uh, documentarian and, and um, TV producer at ESPN that the stories that were out there were really a little bit basic and really what people would talk about was just the unemployment numbers, which does not tell the whole story. So art, you know, brought me in six years ago and had me build this media company that has a journalism side, um, high level executives that we run in from the wall street journal and CNBC and other places. So we do journalism. And then we also do uh, documentaries and long form interviews and these magazines. Mm. So cool. And as a guy that's been in this veteran lane, I saw so many parallels with some of the previous stories I've covered here. Um, Everything from the veteran that made his own brand of beer to um, Mm -hmm. one really cool story I covered one time about a guy that made RFID chip gun cabinets. And they look like a flag hanging on the wall, but you like wand this you know, card over the top of the cabinet. Then all of a sudden James Bond style, it kind of like hydraulically opens in the middle and then there's, you know, black foam and like a place for your gun and your cash and your bourbon and all the things you don't want the kids to touch. So, right. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Right. Who, and now uh, Christmas right around the corner, I'll send you the link. Right. Let's talk about this edition of Inquire Within. This, again, it's an online web magazine. It's basically just like page after page of like cool videos. And as I was looking through the videos, uh, I saw some familiar faces, uh, mainly ABC News correspondent Bob Woodruff. uh, But he was interviewing Dr. David Calloway, who's the professor of emergency medicine at Atrium Health in the Carolinas Medical Center in Charlotte. Uh, But he's also a a familiar face to those of us in the veteran community because he's on Team Rubicon and he's a Navy Mm -hmm. veteran. Share with me a little bit about that story. Sure. Uh, Dr. Calloway is an absolute rock star and and probably one of the most patriotic folks I've ever met in my life. I had the, the pleasure of meeting him about four years ago um, when he was at what was then Carolina Health Group, which is now Atrium Health, and uh, he was the head of emergency medicine. So he was training medical students, he was training PA students, but he was also training the medics from Fort Bragg. And we got into a conversation about these men and women who serve 
sometimes, you know, 10, 12 years, there's a million dollars of, of uh, training that goes into these medics. Most of them are enlisted, so high school degrees, you know, maybe no college. And when they come back, they weren't getting even one credit towards the MP school or PA school, um, and they were really struggling. And Dave set out to fix that problem, which is a very complicated thing to fix. When you, as you know, you're working with the DOD, you're working with higher education, um, and in the medical field and certifications, it's very confusing. So we've known each other for about four years, and he came into the magazine and, and did a conversation with Bob Woodruff, who I had introduced him to because of Bob's experience, as we know, what happened to him when he was very badly injured in Iraq. And uh, a few years ago, I introduced them so that they could have a conversation about the medical care that, that Woodruff got and what Callaway is trying to do. So this particular interview in our magazine is a little bit about that, but it's also just very clear. Uh, they talk also about COVID and what's going on. So it's very current. Uh, but what Callaway is talking about and what he's doing at his hospital is really getting veterans into healthcare jobs. And that does not mean necessarily nursing and medics. It could be in cyber. It could be in logistics. But when these men and women come back and separate, there is a lack of information about what opportunities they have and how we translate their skills in a way to get them into really good careers instead of, as we call them, lifeboat jobs, where you're just, you know, just making it by. So, you know, I, I encourage everybody to listen to the interview. Callaway's a rock star, and, and he and Woodruff have a very funny back and forth. They have a, a nice relationship. And when I was hit and I was out for 36 days, the, it was the nurses and the doctors that brought me back to life. I would not be here right now if it was not for them. But you and I talked about this, and when they came back to the United States to get into the civilian medical world, they were not really getting properly hired and trained and given the given the the rights to practice. Well, Bob, we're still working on that program, and uh, you you firsthand saw that it's not just the medical skills that uh, these teams have; it's the decision making and the ability to lead in crisis. and And you're an example of, of the success. And what we, uh, what we started working on about a decade ago was this idea that medics and me medical providers in the military shouldn't separate from the military, they should graduate from the military. And we should be able to capitalize on this incredible war dividend that's been developed over now two decades of, of crisis and combat operations. So cool. And it's something that even I noticed it when I got into journalism after my service in the Navy, it was like, oh, you went to defense information school? Well, sorry, stand behind in line, the kid that just right. left Columbia School of Journalism. And I'm like, wait That's a minute, right. I've actually covered stories. I've been on a flight deck. I, I, I've i actually written, a you know, 100 plus published articles and I got to get behind, right. you know, some wet behind the ears kid right out of college who, you know, did a really neat internship. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's the problem. <laughs> Now stick around and we'll talk about even more career opportunities for veterans with WorkingNation.com's Joan Lynch when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Let's talk a little bit more about another cool, compelling video I saw on the website, and that was a conversation about farming. Um, it, it was about Rethink Ready. And, right. you know, the video, you know, as you look at it on the website is a guy walking alongside a row of crops and, 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 and it appears to be sort of a statement about how we need to change our, our misperceptions about what being ready right. for employment is. That's exactly right. And in every one of our Inquirer Within magazines, we have a story called Rethink Ready and we want to highlight, you know, someone that perhaps is in a different field and had to rethink how they were going to be prepared for the future of work as 
as we know, jobs and work and skills is changing radically and very quickly in this country. So everyone across the board needs to be aware and needs to rethink ready for themselves. But that particular story was about Comfort Farms, which is down in in Georgia. Um, Garrett Cathcart, who you might have heard of before, who runs Mission Roll Call, introduced me to that story, and he actually went down and did the interview. For the first time in my life, I felt like I've lost my edge. I'm not as sharp, and I just didn't feel relevant as a a person, as a human being. You know, and it's a a beautiful story about a, a soldier who came back that was really struggling, and he set up this farm, um, and not only does he do farming, and I believe there's a long-form documentary coming out about his program, but he also brings families and veterans into the farm. They work together. They learn how to do things together. And really what it is is he, he's bringing together this community of like-minded individuals who might need a little bit of support. They might need to talk about, you know, what's next for me. But while they're doing it, they're they're hands-on. It's very familiar to them in terms of the military. They're working on things. They're building chicken cages. They're doing all this. But really what he's doing is creating an environment, in some cases for people to heal um, from some, you know, maybe invisible scars. In other cases, it's just for folks to get together and say, hey, I'm struggling to find a good job or this. And it, it's a community, which, as you know, the military is about community. And it's one of the things that, that our veterans really struggle with when they come back because they're used to having those other men and women around them, uh, their team. So it's, uh, it's a great program down in Georgia, and we were thrilled to be able to tell the story. When I decided to kind of pick myself up from my own bootstraps, I knew I wanted to use agriculture in a way to help veterans. And so I created Comfort Farms. Comfort Farms is geared to helping veterans find their sense of purpose to serve self, community, and team. We have accreditation now with a new grant through Central Georgia Technical College to teach veterans how to be sustainable farmers. And they will learn from the ground up this hybrid model of what it needs to be to run a successful farm. Mm. Very cool. And I've covered, again, other stories similar to that. And yeah, there's something cathartic about getting your hands in the land, getting all covered in dirt. And I think it's an idea starter for a lot of people who might be considering, hey, you know, maybe in my neck of the woods, I might want to start a produce market. I might want to do something in agribusiness. And to that, you also have an interview in this month's edition uh, with somebody that can kind of help you get those wheels turning if you want to become an entrepreneur. And uh, namely, it's the head of a very powerful group called Bunker Labs. Tell me a little bit about more about what he shares. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Blake Logan is the CEO. We we interviewed him. Our editor-in-chief, Ramona Schindelheim, did an interview with him. He's a uh, former Marine Corps. And, you know, Bunker Labs, as you said, pretty common Um, organization within the veterans community, people have heard about it, but when you really dig into the success rates they've had um, in getting veterans set up in business, they have done something incredibly smart in setting up these regional bunker labs. So not only do you have the support, but you have someone in your neck of the woods who you can work directly with, who can support you. When the World War II cohort came home, I mean, it was such a different story, right? You had 16 million veterans. Everybody in in the country was connected to uh, the wars and service in some way, shape, or form. 
uh, and nearly half of them started businesses. So if I wanted to go into, uh, you know, into media, I would have found you, Ramona, at the American Legion. We would have had a beer. We would have said, you said, you're like, hey, this is this is how I did it. Um, you know, now we're we've got less than one percent of, of the U.S. population serves in the military. Increasingly, they're coming from military families. Um, so you're just your aperture of what you're seeing when you leave the military might be a little bit more limited. And, um, you know, it is, we say all the time that people will be what they can see. Um, and we think it's important that, you know, if you're a military police officer right now, if, if, you know, you should know that there are options that exist, uh, beyond going into law enforcement. If you want to go into law enforcement, that's awesome. That's great. You should absolutely do that. But you should also know that, you know, you could go start a, you know, a tech company. You could go, you know, grow a, a barbecue sauce company, I mean, whatever it is that, that, you know, you want to do under the sort of entrepreneurial sun. You know, the other thing that I found really inspiring about the, the interview with Blake is he talked about, um, and I love this about veterans, he talked about how when COVID hit as an organization, they really had to pivot and look at, you know, what was going on with layoffs and, you know, jobs going away. And really what they looked at is, do our entrepreneurs need our help right now in things like getting the PPP money? So they, they put a lot of their energy into making sure that their, their entrepreneurs who had maybe just started a business or had been just getting to a point where they're getting successful, in some cases, some as soon as COVID hit, it looked like they were going to go out of business. So they stepped in and said, we're going to help support you in this way, help you fill out the paperwork, help you do all of this. Because as an organization, that's what they do. They're trying to teach them how to be better business leaders and, and create these opportunities. So I thought his Bunker Labs is fantastic. Great organizations have come out of their companies, but they also are so focused on the people that they serve that during COVID, I, I just thought their pivot story was, was pretty remarkable. Indeed. And in fact, I've actually consulted with them before, not just covering stories, but with my own business ideas and found a wealth of talent behind those meetings where you can learn from people that have done it, how to put together your business plan. You can learn uh, the things you need to know before you even take your first step. And it's That's right. so crucial. And I'm so glad to see it getting, uh, you know, some airtime here with Working yeah. Nation. Uh, Joan Lynch, so much cool going on with this Inquire Within online news magazine as part of WorkingNation.com. And uh, what do we look forward to in the future? And how can I learn more? Well, for the rest of the month, we've dedicated the entire month, as we did last year, um, to talking about veterans and work. So we're going to continue to every day on our website, you know, about veterans. And I should say on their spouses as well and families. Uh, and then going into 2021, we'll continue to do that, but we also are, are setting up an, our next magazines will be about healthcare, where the jobs of the future are there, about green jobs and the environment, which is a fascinating space and one where veterans are absolutely set up to succeed in a lot of these industries that are growing um, and a lot of these jobs that are available that you might not need a four-year degree for. You might need just some industry certification credentials. So we talk about different topics. Veterans happens to be this this November, and and certainly I'm passionate about it, so we tell it throughout the year. But every day we've got journalism about it. We've got great podcasts, great short documentaries. Um, but really, it's about giving people the solutions, and and I should say regionally, we're very very focused on local. So for a lot of veterans coming back, they might want to go back to where they're from. There is opportunity in different areas of this country that we don't talk about a lot. So what we do at Working Nation is we go really narrow. We go into the state level. We go into the community level. And we say, what are the opportunities here? 
and what do you have to do to be able to transition into this life-sustaining, hopefully purposeful um, career to, to grow and, and to take care of yourself and your family. Well, I love it. Uh, uh, you know, a job is something we all need, but a career yep. is something that we all covet. And I'm glad to see that you are getting the you're getting the idea started with these documentaries, with these shorts. And uh, again, you can find it all at WorkingNation.com. Joan Lynch, Chief Content Officer, appreciate your time. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for the work you do for our veterans. Now we'll continue today's theme of how to get a job with a veteran I've looked up to for a long time. Jerry J-Dog Flanagan is the founder of J-Dog Junk Removal. But the story of how he built a company into over 200 franchises is one of my absolute favorite vet-owned business success stories. And more than just a story, J-Dog just might have the career that you're looking for. Jerry, great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. Man, I remember looking you up, and I just missed you, by the way, at the Military Influencers Conference in D.C. about a year ago. But I remember looking you up because I saw that thing about Veteran Shark Tank, where veterans can pitch their business opportunities and their ideas for a business in search of funding and support. And I remember your story, and I called you out of the blue. And you sat down and told me a little bit about your whole backstory. I want to revisit that a little bit for everyone on this show today, because I know we're in the middle of this COVID economy and people are losing jobs. People aren't sure what to do. And starting a business is a phenomenal thing to do. I think in all different economic environments, but uh, well, let's go all the way to the beginning from what I remember. And that was you, the U S army and a Jeep. Sure. So uh, I served active duty um, army. I was a 31 kilo, which back then it was called a wire dog. Um, that's where the name J dog came from. My nickname in the army was J dog <laughs> and, um, did a, you know, did a few years of active duty, um, got out, attempted college that didn't work out so well, less than about six months there. And I did the, uh, you know, three jobs pays the bills program. That was one of the, uh, the things I was famous for, for a few years, reenlisted in the national guard, did another two years, uh, just after desert storm. And here I, here I turned out to be uh, one of these guys who landed in a warehouse uh, working in a retail location. And basically, from there, I worked with an entrepreneur over seven years, watched him make a lot of money while I was making, you know, five and $10,000 raises each year. And I realized after about seven years, I'm doing everything in this company, everything from leasing, operations, marketing. Um, I really had it all going on. And I wasn't really earning the kind of money I wanted to, and I didn't have any equity. So I went out on my own and tried my own business. Um, it failed, um, did well enough where the cash was good, but uh, I ran out of money and lessons learned. Um, it was a good good, good thing that I, I did fail because um, I realized I needed more capital if I was gonna do my next venture. Hmm. Um, spent five more years working for that guy again, went back to him and then said, I really need to be an entrepreneur. And at this point, um, my wife and I decided, let's get into this thing together. So we ran, we opened up the swing set business, moon bounces, birthday parties in the late 2000s, and we franchised it. And it was actually pretty good. It was like a Chuck E. Cheese on steroids, where they had kids playing on the play sets, parents were in the parents' lounge watching football. It's a pretty cool company. Um, did six franchises there, and before you know it, 2008 hits and the economy crashes takes everything out from underneath us. Um, that was uh, two, two years um, after 2008, we wound up having to file bankruptcy. Um, 43 years old, I own a Jeep, and I'm looking at my wife going, what's next? 
and um, I had the resume out there. wasn't really getting much response because I don't have a degree, and I really never leaned on my military service because I only served you know a few years back in the eighties and nineties. But I did see online a recession-proof model called um, junk removal. You know, this one eight hundred got junk, and some of these other companies were out there picking up junk, charging customers. And I said, you know what, I can do that. So I bought a landscape trailer. And I went out and started hauling junk in my local neighborhood. And I want to pause you right there because that, to me, speaks to where we are right now. And people are yep. out there going, what can I do in my own backyard to make some money today? And before we get into the franchising and the business model success, it was literally you, that Jeep in a trailer, going around asking neighbors if they needed anything taken to the dump, Right. Exactly. So my wife, well, my wife and I, what we would do is we'd get index cards and we'd handwrite our name, phone number, um, you know, veteran owned and operated on these index cards, and we'd put them out at the pizza shop, at the doctor's offices, at the at the dry cleaning, all in, within a mile of our house. Because my philosophy was, if I can just work the twelve hundred homes that are within a mile of my home, townhouses, I can make some money, and I could go to the school where I pick up my daughter. She's in middle school. I talk to customers while I'm in line, talk to the moms. I book jobs every day while I'm picking on my kid at 2 o'clock. There's always ways to make money um, if you can find the right type of business. And I think that that's hope and optimism right there in that you were living this and it works. Um, but it took a couple it took a couple maneuvers now to grow from just a Jeep into a full you know a fully blown business operation. Talk to me about next steps. Yeah, so what happened was um, in 2012, I'd been doing it for about a year, my wife and I, I'd been hiring uh, veterans that were at the um, VA hospital over here in Coatesville, um, compensated work therapy. These were struggling veterans um, trying to find work, and they, were, they weren't getting hired because of, of prior addictions. And I was hiring them. I was putting them on the trucks, getting them to work, getting them back on their feet. And Tracy and I got used to this, and so she says to me, we need to franchise this thing. You could teach veterans how to open up their own junk removal business because we have the playbook. You've been doing it. The margins are good. The The demand is unlimited. Um, we're, the, we're the veteran company. No one else is out there is doing this, this veteran business model like we are. So let's franchise it. So it was her idea. Um, so we did it. We went ahead and um, started franchising. And we got into this thing. About 2014, we realized we've got a monster here. Um, there was no way I could haul junk, clean out dumpsters, clean out hoarder homes with my bare hands and also sell franchises. I had to pick one or the other. And we approached a, um, a capital firm called Julep Run Capital. And I said, here's my idea. And I, I showed up to the meeting, you know, in a cutoff J-Dog shirt with BDUs and boots, <laughs> you know, all sweaty, buffed up, you know. And I went up to these guys and said, you know, this is what I do. Hardest working guy you'll ever meet. I want to franchise this thing nationwide with my wife, and uh, we need money. And uh, they thought about it, and they realized this thing did seem like a good investment, and we, we raised um, over a million dollars. Now, as one myself that has looked at some side businesses, uh, especially most recently, uh, you know, my wife, uh, she got furloughed, and we just, you know, rewind 90 days ago. We're still having this conversation in my house about what does it take. And I noticed when I started researching ways to get financing. There's a couple fundamental steps that need to be in place. I'm imagining you there in your sleeveless tee and cargo shorts, a handsome man, don't get me wrong. Um, 
But did you have with you the fully fleshed out business plan or was it one of those meetings where they're like, hey guy, we love what you're about. Can you come back with X, Y, and Z? You know, something like that. No, I actually, I actually, I actually did have a business plan. I mean, I had done this before. Uh, you know, this was my second rodeo with franchising. I had already gone through the process of investing in a franchise system when we did the um, swing set business. So I had all the documentation. I understood, you know, P&Ls and pro forma. So I did have some experience with that. And plus, you know, lessons learned over those 20 years to get me to that point where I could wear a tank top t-shirt and throw down some numbers and say, this is, this is real. And they can look at it and go, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. He knows his numbers. Hmm. So this makes sense to us. It wasn't like I was just some got, you know, pie in the sky shark tank, you know, contestant saying, <laughs> you know, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the strong guy. I need your brains to run this thing. I, I was going to run this thing a thousand percent with their support and when the, with their mentorship in exchange for stock. Now, looking outside of those that are seeking franchises with you, just in general, the person out there that's got the entrepreneurialism in their blood, but wants to take that next step. What are the things you suggest in creating that business plan? What are the most critical elements they should know how to do or software they should download so that they can write the proper plan? Yeah, you, you got to go to the basics. So, you know, I, I almost call it like a kindergarten, you know, operating plan where you, it's crayons, it's scissors, it's pens and pencils, you know, all this software junk and all this extra things that people try to get into. The basics are the basics. You know, what, what's your service? Is there a demand for the service? Um, are you solving a problem? Do you have a competitive advantage? Why you over the next guy? And what I would say to the fellow veterans out there, you do have an advantage. You have your veteran status. And most veterans don't even utilize that. So number one, whatever business or whatever service you put up, you, you got to be a veteran-owned and operating model, and you got to market yourself to the veteran community and then start branching out to your fellow uh, patriots in your neighborhoods and, and your, in your uh, cities because those are going to be your consumers that are going to use your products and services. So I would really dummy it down um, and, and spend as little as possible in the beginning when you don't have any money um, don't leverage yourself too much on debt because debt's the problem really in, in most small businesses. They, they borrow too much money and they, and they drown. Um, so I'm more of a guy that says, hey, start knocking on doors, work seven days a week, be the first person up in the morning, be the last person to go to bed. Now we're going to continue our conversation today about finding a job and not just a job, a career. And we're talking with Jerry Flanagan, the founder of J-Dog Junk Removal. With over 200 franchises, he's built something incredibly impressive. But I personally sought his advice over a year ago when I began seriously thinking about starting my own business. But as many of us right now are searching for a new career, my conversation with Jerry reveals that no matter what, unemployed, underemployed, or living through a global economic transition like we are today, owning your own business is within reach. And it might even be a J-Dog junk removal franchise. Along the way, did you also recommend things like the SBA or reaching out to resources that can help you design the perfectly crafted business plan? You do it all. I mean, first of all, the Internet's your best friend, right? I mean, just go on the Internet and you can find almost any sample business plan. Um, score's good. Uh, you go to a score. Um, uh, but the resources are out there. If you search hard enough, you'll find everything you need. Um, get into the veteran community, find other veteran business owners that have more experience, and they'll help you with with your business plan and business models as well. You just got to get out there and network. You got to belong to all the networking groups, all the veteran community groups. Uh, Greater Philadelphia Veterans Network that's up here in Philadelphia is a tremendous resource. 
there are veterans out there that want to mentor, mentor our veteran community, and they're all out there, and there's a lot of them are very successful. They've built a lot of businesses, and they're willing to help. I remember your advice on getting a partner was even before you start with a capital person or a bank person or a business owner. Talk to me about why your wife or your spouse might be the most important partner you have. Yeah, because you're going to spend your entire life you know, building this business. I mean, it doesn't shut off at five o'clock. If you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, you're going to need your wife or your spouse um, 100% on board with you. Otherwise, it's going to cause problems. Um, they need to understand, the family needs to understand that work comes first. Um, there's no such thing as cutting out all this family time when you're an entrepreneur. I just, I just don't believe it. You got to bring the family into the entrepreneurship. You got to bring them into the fold of this entrepreneur family. It's not a cutoff. You can't just shut things off and then go do the other things. You kind of have to make a blend with it. And when you have a partner like my wife, who's my co-founder partner, you know, equal partner in everything we do, senior vice president here, it's so much easier because she understands the demand that it takes to run a business like we have. She understands that the hours that are involved and that you have to answer the phone on Sunday at eight o'clock at night, even though the game's on, you got to be available and you've got to be able to not turn it off. I, I just don't believe when you're an entrepreneur and you're building a company that you have the ability or, or the, the luxury of turning it off. Maybe when you're doing 50 to $100 million someday and you have people to run it for you, that's different. But most people we're talking about, they need to work it every day. Yeah, and I also remember uh, one of the tales you told about your kids. Uh, when you founded J-Dog Junk Removal, they were younger. Uh, didn't they go out with you on the trucks? Absolutely. Yeah, so daddy-daughter day with one one daughter, Cora, she would go out on the trucks with me. It was the only time I could really see her because the weekend she's obviously at school. And then she would run out and, and haul the junk with me. I'd let her pick her own prizes, and she would be bringing stuff home like Sanford and Son basically every weekend. It was great, <laughs> but taught her work ethics. Um, my other daughter was a QuickBooks uh, guru, so she did the books with my wife. So you got both daughters in middle school working two sides of the business, which I think really rounded them up. They're both in college now. I think that uh, those basic skills really, really taught them a lot. Oh, man, that's awesome. And I also love how you phrased that. It's junk removal, but you said, pick your own prize. <laughs> what, was one of the, what was one of the weirdest things you ever picked up? I'd say one of the most incredible things I ever picked up was the first 20 editions of Sports Illustrated with all the business cards in them. Um, I thought that was pretty cool <laughs> because that was the original Sports Illustrated from 1954. Um, I also picked up an 800-pound anchor that was over 100 years old that was embedded in someone's backyard. Uh, that was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, this, the, the stories go on and we could do a, a whole mini series of, uh, you know, of the, of the junk stories that you, that you encounter when you're cleaning out these homes. <laughs> I always think of you whenever I watch American pickers, because those guys come across some amazing stuff. And of course they're automotive interests, but, uh, you know, they find some just really ridiculously cool things. It's funny you say that, uh, Phil, because we actually are in the process of creating our own television series. We already prepared a, uh, a sizzle reel. We have a, the producer and writer um, who thinks our show is going to be one of those American Picker storage war type shows. So we're in those early phases of preparing it. But you, you may see in the next year or two um, the J-Dog TV series coming on to one of those channels. Oh, that's amazing. I'm, I'm glad I made that segue there. Yeah, because that's just what I was getting ready to ask you is what's on the horizon for J-Dog. Over 200 franchises now. Um, share with me just some bullets on uh, what you got going beyond TV. Yeah, so um, we launched our carpet cleaning division um, a little over a year ago. 
um, and that's doing great. We have almost 20 of those signed up, um, and that's good timing because, you know, carpet cleaning, and, you know, making sure things are wiped down and, and COVID protected, you're able to um, to capture that need as well right now. So we're we're fortunate that both businesses are essential. Um, sky's the limit on the on the, the the junk side. It's just we signed over seventy locations this year, and the, the whole country's wide open. So we're very very comfortable that we're going to be able to saturate the entire country. Every zip code in the United States would have some type of J dog um, carpet cleaning. We'd like to get that thing going, um, get it to fifty to hundred locations, and then we'll see. We'll see what the next one's going to be. Whatever it's going to be, we got to make sure that it's highly profitable. It has unlimited demand, and it's extremely competitive with our veteran status. And it's cost effective. We don't want to get into very expensive franchises. And I never thought about the ever-present need, and in fact, increased need in things like household cleaning services, because we are in a COVID era where people are trying to go the extra step now to ensure that we're not bringing in germs and viruses from outside the home. Um, mm, great stuff. Yeah, all the businesses need us now, the restaurants and uh, schools, they, they all need the service to be wiped down. And people are going to be having Thanksgiving coming up, right? So what's the first thing they're going to want to do? Well, when the when the families all leave, they're going to want us to come in and, and get that get that cleaning going in the home to, to disinfect and make sure it's safe. And then same thing over Christmas. And then ongoing, we're going to find ourselves in that nice little spot here where people are going to be more, um, prom, you know, more out to get their homes cleaned by us as they normally would. Last question. If I'm a veteran, I'm on the fence right now. I'm looking around my neighborhood. I, 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 I just don't have the income that I needed. What qualifications do I need to come to J-Dog? Well, you need to be a veteran or a veteran family member. Um, so you need to be able to produce a DD-214. Um, and we basically are looking for people that, you know, that want to represent the brand properly, that, are, that want to hire veterans and patriots, um, carry on our mission, um, you know, look for that ethos of brotherhood that uh, we like to share. And hopefully you get the right people in this place. You know, we will be able to spread out this hiring initiative of getting the veteran unemployment rate to under 1% nationwide. Those are the people that we're looking for in J-Dog. And what I love most especially about that is it sounds like it's character over context. Like it doesn't require the college degree. You're not looking for somebody that has junk removal on the resume. You teach them all. Yeah, it's a one week um, here at J-Dog University. Um, and it, you know, basically it comes down to people, passion, and patriotism. I mean, that's the really the three things that we look for in our franchisees. Well, the sky is the limit, and I just am so impressed with your success. I love to hear this, and in this economic climate we're in right now, and that this could get somebody motivated to take that leap and find success in running their own show for a change. So, Jerry Flanagan, J-Dog, how do I find out more about it online? Uh, Very simple. Go to jdog.com, J-D-O-G.com. An inspiration, a pleasure. Love talking to you, man. Thanks, Phil. Take care, bud. Now, in the last part of this podcast today, I want to help veterans that are looking to do exactly what J-Dog's Jerry Flanagan did, and that is start their own successful business. And for all of us, it's been an important week. It's the National Veterans Small Business Week. And for many of us that are toying with an idea, an invention, or a service that we'd like to start up, going from brainstorm to actually running the business requires way more than just a dream. It takes a rock-solid plan the advice of experts, learning from other vets who've done something similar and maybe even failed. But most importantly, it takes money. Luckily, the United States Small Business Administration can help with all of that. And I recently spoke with former Army Colonel Larry Stubblefield. He's the head of Veterans Development for the SBA. 
and we talked about National Veterans Small Business Week and how the SBA has programs to help make your dream become a reality. And as you'll hear, I speak from my own personal experience on this one. How the heck are you, Larry? I'm fine, Phil. Thank you for having me here again. Happy National Veterans Small Business Week. And uh, well, first, let's just talk about the great things going on with the SBA and the resources available to veterans. Yeah. So first of all, let me just say this is our ninth annual National Veterans Small Business Week. Our theme this year is Marching Toward Vet Biz Success. And the, the purpose of National Veterans Small Business Week, Phil, is twofold. Number one, we want to recognize the veteran small business owners in their local communities. You know, um, first of all, you know, there's there's 1.8 million veteran small business owners around the country. They generate $1 trillion in annual sales. They employ uh, close to 5 million people, and they have the annual uh, payroll of $195 billion. So we view... Uh, the veteran small business community as giants in, in our economy, you know, in their local communities. They help uh, create and build strong communities. They create generational wealth and they play an important role in helping the U.S. maintain um, our industrial base. So uh, in celebrating these businesses in their local communities, you know, we, we uh, wish to highlight and amplify them and just have the community recognize the important role that those business owners play in their communities. And then the second reason for National Veterans Small Business Week is to introduce those business owners or potential veteran business owners to uh, SBA resources. So it's a national uh, effort, if you will. We have close to 150 events going on around the country this week, the week of 31 October through 4 November. And as always, we're we're excited and just happy to be out there with these veteran business owners and uh, and like I said, amplifying them in their local communities. Right on. And before we dive into some of the specifics that I have highlighted here to discuss and ask you about, um, I want to say, you know, a lot of people nationally recognize veteran owned brands. Uh, you know, there's Black Rifle Coffee and there's Grunt Style T-shirts. Uh, recently had a guest on from Nine Line Apparel. And those are kind of like the marquee veteran owned businesses. But in your own community, you know, there's everything from HVAC guys to local coffee shops, local restaurants, uh, trades, J dog junk removal jumps to the top of my mind when I think about Jerry Flanagan. And then I just wanted to also share with you and fully compliment you guys from like two or three years ago when we sat together in the studio and we talked about this for the first time. And man, we finished that episode and I told you guys I was itching to start my own business. And I reached out to my veteran outreach center. I had several conversations along the way going back two years ago, but this last summer we launched sunset slush Italian ice. It's a hand scooped Italian ice business that visits swimming pools and lakes around all summer long. I do it out of a Volkswagen van and I did it with the guidance and the inspiration. Thanks to you guys. So I can't thank you enough for uh, lighting the fire and starting one other small veteran business called Sunset Slush here in Frederick County, Maryland. Thank you, sir. Well, congratulations, Phil. And you you definitely fall in line with the theme, you know, marching toward vet biz success. 
Yeah, man. And it starts small, which is why I wanted to share that little personal detail. Cause we're, you know, we're not talking about like, do you want to start a manufacturing business? Do you need a 20,000 square foot warehouse? Uh, your, your best project could be something that you just love to do or love to make, whether it's flags made out of wood or whether it's Italian ISIS. Your best first step is starting small and drilling down into the ideas, which is why I wanted to ask you about one of the programs you guys have, which is boots to business. And a boots to business reboot for those that are not necessarily directly transitioning out of the military, but for vets like me that have been out there for a while. Share with me a little bit about boots to business and how the SBA supports vets with that program. Okay, so boots to business is one of our signature programs. It's uh, a part of the uh, Department of Defense's transition assistance program. It's taught at 160 military installations around the world, and it's basically a two day workshop. It's an introduction to entrepreneurship. So uh, a transitioning service member and his or her spouse are are invited to attend. And we go over, you know, the basic things you need to know in terms of uh, business ownership, like financing your business, how you would go about marketing your business, what are the legal requirements. And at the end of that two-day workshop, if the service member is interested in continuing his his or her entrepreneurial journey, the last um, module in that uh, the two-day workshop is additional resources. And that's when we introduce them to our veteran business outreach centers, our district offices, and others. And the only difference between uh, Boots to Business and Boots to Business Reboot is one is on an installation. The other one is in local communities. Yeah, we talk about where we get access to that, and you talk about veteran veteran business outreach centers. Uh, talk about those a little bit, because you gave me the number for the guy here in Maryland, uh, Mark, I believe, that I spoke to at my outreach yes. center. And just in one phone call, he literally helped me drill down four different things that I needed to have before I approached a bank. But share with me how a veteran listening that has been out of the service for a little bit, how does he find a veteran business outreach center and kind of where are they located? Well, that's really good to hear that, you know, Mark was able to help you because last year for um, National Veteran Small Business Week, we actually launched that uh, Veteran Business Outreach Center on the first day of National Veteran Small Business Week. So that's that's great to hear that. But we have 22, 22 Veteran Business Outreach Centers, I should say, located around the country. They cover all 50 states. You know, we're in the process right now of expanding. We're expanding the VBOC program from 22 to 34 veteran business outreach centers. And I'll say this about our, we call them VBOX for short, uh, but they're a one-stop shop, you know, for all entrepreneurial needs for, you know, veterans, you know, transitioning service members, military spouses, reservists, or national guardsmen, you know, and we provide the tools, uh, the VBOX do, to either help them, you know, start, you know, grow or expand their business, or in the event that, unfortunately, their business is impacted by a declared natural disaster, the VBOX, working with other community partners, help those businesses stand back up. To locate a VBOX, uh, if we go to uh, sba.gov slash forward slash local dash assistance, a box will appear where you put your zip code in and it will tell you where all the SBA resources for that zip code is located to include the Veteran Business Outreach Center. 
Right on. It was about the time I was really trying to formulate my business plan and make sure that it would actually make money. And it was through a conversation uh, with Mark there that I did learn about the first key document that you're going to have to know how to write if you're ready to get into business. And that's a business plan. Tell me a little bit about not only the business plan instructions and the training you can get, but there's also a key element of that called mentoring. Well, they'll pair you up with somebody. Share with me a little bit more about uh, what is it we're in store for? So your business plan is your, your basic document. And a lot of people like to think that the business plan is something you present to others. And, and that is true. I mean, cause you definitely, if you're looking for, you know, lending and things of that nature, you want to be able to sell your business to um, a banker, but it's also your own individual plan, you know, your own strategy of where you're trying to go. And our VBOX are very skilled in terms of sitting down, you know, uh, carrying you through, you know, we can conduct feasibility studies, you know, to just find out is the, your, your concept for a business, is it actually feasible? You know, we can also walk you through market research where we help you identify who your competitors are and things of that nature. And then where uh, if additional mentoring is needed, you know, that's where our score chapters come in. At. So uh, those are the senior core retired executives. You know, there's like about 10,000 of them associated with SBA. They're located all around the country. And we we have numerous success stories where um, a potential business owner has come in, actually sat down, did their initial work with the VBOC, maybe did a, a little bit more work with an SBDC, a small business development center, and then bringing in that mentor uh, who is familiar with their business area to help round out their plans and, and then help get them launched. The, the one thing that we tell business owners all the time, veteran business owners or potential uh, veteran business owners is do not go at this alone. At SBA, we have numerous resources with people who are just, you know, just ready to help you, you know, launch your business, grow your business, expand your business, you know, all the way through, even to the point of if uh, you've been in business a while and you're looking to sell or, you know, retire from business, you know, we help you every step of the way of your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. And sometimes it's helping make that pivot. I had a huge grandiose idea about developing a piece of property and building a building on it and doing all these things. And it was through some mentoring. It was through some mentor conversations uh, that had me scale it down from a building to a van. And it suddenly made the idea so much more profitable, made it so much more agile and was really easy to plug in year one and do it on my time and terms. And that pivot is what is so critical because we all have these big dreams, but it takes somebody that's been in business to look at your business plan and just go, hey, have you ever thought about this? And when you suddenly realize there's another option and they can help you scale your idea, or rather it makes that dream so much more likely to become a reality. Yeah, uh, and, the, and the VBOX are also connected to other local resources too. So um, um, they're a valuable tool in the in the uh, toolkit for, you know, any prospective, you know, veterans, small business owner. One last thing I want to touch on before we ring off here. And that is um, I know that the SBA really does help veterans looking to get access to capital. And 
I wanted to also clear up something that like the SBA doesn't actually hand out the money, but it helps you prime yourself to become ready or to become uh, lender ready. Share with me a little bit about what the SBA does to help you get the access to the funds that you'll need in order to start your idea. Okay. So after your ideal has been refined and we're talking about access to capital now, you know, sitting down with a, a representative from SBA, the representative will do a number of things. Like, first of all, look at what, what is the best financing for you? Is it, is it debt financing? In some cases, it may be equity financing. What are your documents look like? You know, your financial forecasts, you know, your marketing piece. What does your management structure look like? Because you're, you're actually, as I said earlier, you're selling your business to the lender, you know, because they're in business to make money. They want to know that you're going, you, that you are actually going to be successful. And then a, a large part of this, Phil, what we found is not everyone is going to go to a JP Morgan Chase and, and get a loan. So, you know, in working with SBA, we'll find the best lender, you know, required to support you. You know, in some cases, it could be, um, you know, in the community developmental financial institutions that are designed to support veterans. So, you know, rather than, you know, walk through the doors of a lender and get rejected, come to SBA, come to our, our VBOX, where we have our lender uh, relations specialists. And that's all that they do is sit down and walk you through your preparation to apply for a loan. Make sure that, you know, everything is in order and that you are a candidate that a lender would be interested in. Yeah. And there's nothing better than the feeling of walking into a bank and knowing your, you know, knowing your plan is bulletproof and it's been tested, it's been tweaked. You may have even pivoted on what the actual business is. But when you walk into that bank, I remember going into ours and we had everything buttoned up. She looked at it and it really was like, I thought it'd be like an hour long meeting. It took 15 minutes. And the bank was just like, you've kind of thought this all through, even the P&L statements and the things I would have never thought to do when I was designing, selling Italian ice from a van. Uh, you know, we had that buttoned up and it was, again, thanks to some good mentoring and thanks to some contacts that I'd made through my a veteran business outreach center. And uh, also just want to say that uh, you can find your local assistance there at SBA.gov slash local assistance, as well as right there on the homepage at SBA.gov. What else did I want to ask? Oh, you'd mentioned about uh, disaster relief. I want to touch on that real quick just because we're on the, you know, we're on the weeks now right after Hurricane Ian. I know Florida down there's a lot of veteran small businesses looking to rebuild and don't know where they might go. Tell me a little bit about what kind of things SBA can do for disaster relief. Okay, so we have a a, a program office. It's our disaster assistance office, and they're very busy right now in Florida. One program that we're standing up and that we're really excited about is um, a mitigation strategy, if you will. In other words, you know, Administrator Guzman, she has tasked, tapped us to be as entrepreneurial. I'm quoting her now. We need to be as entrepreneurial as the people that we serve. In other words, it's not enough to just wait for a disaster and then go in and, you know, we do disaster lending to help, you know, businesses stand back up. And also we help get their their homes back up as well, because, you know, you, you have to have somewhere to live to, you know, to have your business. But the, the new mitigation planning that we're that we're getting ready to roll out will allow us to go into areas that are historically uh, adversely affected by disasters and then 
be able to help those business owners, you know, come up with a mitigating strategy that would help them in the event of a disaster. Say, for example, if you're in a a low-lying area that is prone to flooding, you know, there's different things that you can do structurally with your building that may help you survive or, or, you know, have a better outcome in the event that there's um, flooding. And the same with fire and things of that nature. So, so we're very excited about the mitigation plan that we're getting ready to, to roll out. In, and that will go along with what we traditionally do. And that's to go in and help these, the business owners, you know, uh, get back on their feet. Want to just also say that whether it's disaster relief or whether it's just, you know, again, getting veteran owned businesses at the starting point to be able to find that capital funding that they need. You can uh, find all that at sba.gov slash funding programs Um, on the horizon. I notice you guys are going to take over and this is kind of just in the future. We may get to this a little bit later as you know, we get some clarity on this, but you guys are looking at taking over something from the VA that will help veterans seeking to take advantage of some of these government contracts and really give them sort of a head of the line opportunity here. Share with me a little bit about what you guys are taking over from the VA. All right. So the VA has what is known as their Center for Verification and Evaluation, and for short, CVE. So what if you're, if you're a, a veteran business owner and you want to do business with the VA, you know, secure contracts and things of that nature, you have to go through the CVE. And what the CVE process does is, uh, number one, it ensures that you are the rightful owner of the company. You know, 51% of the company is owned by veterans. And then number two, that you actually control the, the day-to-day and strategic operations of, of the company. Because, you know, if, if there's, I mean, there's millions of dollars of set-aside contracts for veteran small business owners. So the CVE, again, ensures that you're the rightful, you're in the rightful uh, space to be able to compete for those contracts. So uh, across the federal government, um, there's 23 other agencies that do not have uh, the CVE process in place. They allow veterans to self-certify. So Congress mandated in the, in the FY21 National Defense Authorization Act that the CVE responsibilities move to the SBA and then that we spread this across the federal government so that um, at some point self-certification will cease to exist and then um, everyone competing for a sole source or a set-aside contract for veterans will actually be you know, verified and that they are eligible to compete for those contracts. And ultimately, just kind of the 30,000 foot view of that is if I have a contracting specialty, I'm thinking of my brothers and sisters in IT. I'm thinking of my brothers and sisters in cyber, um, you know, the people that work with the federal government, they'll be able to, with this certification, stand right there and look at what you'd said was tens of millions of dollars the government's spending right now to do the things it must do, they can stand in line and get access to those contracts. Hmm. Yes, every every federal agency has uh, what is known as sole source and set-aside contracts, and, the, and those are contracts that are specifically for for veterans. And you don't even got to move. You can do it from you know wherever your office is, whether it's the D.C. Metro where 
or whether you're at your home out there in Wyoming. Uh, good stuff, man. Again, I started there a couple of years ago and I want to leave all the listeners with the fact that, you know, whether you're looking at these big national brands like Black Rifle, every single one of these guys started in their garage. Every single one of these guys just started with a small dream and a small skill or a small invention and just really scaled the heck out of it. You know, you could be that next success story, but you don't have to be a nationally recognized brand to be a success story. If you are doing a job that gives you a purpose-driven life, that gives you the ability to provide for your family, and you said something at the top I love, generational wealth. It doesn't mean, you know, you're a Vanderbilt and you own railroads. It just means owning a business is something you can involve your children in. You can pass this legacy on down to the next generation. And I can't think of a better place to start than SBA.gov. And that's why I always thank you for coming on the show and uh, celebrating what's a very important week now for me, Colonel Larry Stubblefield. We could go on and on. In fact, I could tell you more about the great way I went from scooping a single serving of Italian ice to selling a thousand of them in a day. But uh, we ain't got time for that. I just want to thank you for everything y'all are doing. Thank you. Thank you, Phil, for having me here and for helping us get the word out about National Veterans Small Business Week. Really appreciate it. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Van Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.